This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, take your Bibles if you would this morning and turn with me once again. Uh, to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. We will be looking at the last verses of Hebrews chapter 12 and Lord willing, getting to chapter 13 uh, next week. And after this week, three more messages in the book of Hebrews. Uh, that's what I'm saying today. I have no idea if that's gonna be true in the next couple of weeks, but that's the plan. Uh, I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us in the next few weeks as we finish up this book. It's interesting, I was preparing this message and I had my Bible open and my computer open and uh, a bunch of books around me and I was reading and studying and uh, th- there's a lot of complicated things in this text and so I was really just pouring over it and then all of a sudden I-, I look up and I look out my window and a police car pulls up right at my window. I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. It doesn't happen every day here at the church. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, it's been... It's been months since one of those came by to talk to Ryan Wingo. So I, it, it surprised me a little bit. And um, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's been, it's been longer than that. But. <laughs> so I, I didn't know what was going on. And, and I got to be honest, like, I hate to say this. And I feel like even saying this is, is going to make you question me and make me wonder, make you wonder about me and kind of what's going on in my life. But then as I say that, this is how you feel when a police car pulls up behind you on the road. So don't judge me at this, all right? I just, like, I immediately think, well, I, I don't know. Did I do something wrong? Like, I, I just had that feeling, you know? Like, this is kind of made me nervous a little bit. And so I started thinking about it and just kind of evaluating my life and, you know, everything I've ever done. And that's scary. And then I think, well, anything recently? And, and I, I, to be honest with you, I, I thought of a few things. And, and kids, I'm, I'm going to say this stuff, and I, I, you know, I just feel like it's good for me to be honest, and, but, uh, but don't do as I do. I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I thought about um, right outside of my neighborhood, right going on to, to Highway 78, there's this stop sign there. And I'll be honest, when I, when I see an opening, I, don't, I just glide right through that thing. I don't come to a complete stop. I don't. I just go straight through. You got to get some speed, you know, getting up there in 78. And uh, I've been doing that a good bit lately, and that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. Supposed to come to complete stop. I think I've texted a few times lately in the car. I try not to do that, but I'm confident I have at least two or three times. That could have been that could have been it. And I'll be honest, I hate I hate to tell you this one. This one's bad too. But I uh, sometimes when I leave my house and I'm I'm going to the church, it's just me and 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 I'm kind of in a hurry. I don't buckle my seatbelt. I frankly don't want to wrinkle my shirt, and I just keep the seatbelt off and. I'd rather just hear that beeping for three minutes. I mean, it's close. It's just right across the street. But I just hear that beep for three minutes, just not only ignoring the law, but the beep. I'm just going and all of that's wrong. And I'm just telling you, at that moment, that police, I'm making some changes in my life. I'm telling you, I'm stopping at that stop sign. Well, I probably won't do that one, but I'm gonna buckle. (laughs) I'm gonna stop texting. So I, man, I'm thinking about all this stuff and man, I'm just reevaluating everything in life. Just kind of this sobering moment. And all of a sudden it hits me. They're here because we called them. I'd forgotten about that. 
uh, we'd had some stuff stolen from the church last weekend, and, and so we called them Monday morning. Of course, immediately they showed up, and they did exactly what they should do, and uh, they were super faithful. Our police around here are just incredible, and so it was great. Uh, but it, it was just a reminder to me of how, how different you can feel from one person. You can either feel really great because they've come to help you or really scared because maybe they've come to take you. It just depends if they're, if they're with you or against you. You know, the reality is, like, there's very few things in life that feel better than when a police officer is in front of you with his lights on and has invited you to follow him. You're getting a police escort. That's good stuff. And you know what? Like, if he goes through a stop sign, you go with it too. Like, that's a good feeling, right? If he goes fast, you go fast. That, something about that makes you feel great. It's very different feeling when he comes up behind you and puts the lights on. That's not as exciting, right? It really just depends if he's for you or against you. And that's exactly how it should be. Romans 13 talks about these governing authorities that God has given us for our good. And if you're good, we bless them and honor them. If you're not good, they're coming after you because that's what they're supposed to do. We, we want them to administer justice, and so they do. It was just amazing as I was studying this text and I was thinking about all that that was going on in those few minutes, I realized that it was a really wonderful parable for the text this morning. Because in our text this morning, we get a picture of God. Same God, one God, but two very different pictures of him. On one side, there is a picture of God and him as a consuming fire. It is his just wrath coming for those who are against him. On the other side, there's a picture of his consuming love that which he displays for those who are for him. And so this text has both a warning and an encouragement. To some, it is a strong warning. To some, it is a deep encouragement. It just depends on where you stand with him, if he is before you leading the way or behind you. That's the feel you get from this text, and you'll notice that as we read. If you're there in Hebrews 12, say amen. Listen as I read, starting in verse 18. See if you can get the feeling of this text. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and innumerable angels and festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant sprinkled with his blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25, so see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, speaking of Moses, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven, Jesus. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. They're in this text, two very contrasting pictures of the Lord. And they are given to us in the picture of two contrasting mountains. Mount Sinai, where the law was given, and Mount Zion. So what you have in verses 18 through 22 is a picture of Mount Sinai. And then later in 23 and 24, a picture of Mount Zion. Both places in which God came and visited his people. But both of us giving a bit of a different picture of the Lord. Look first of all at, at, at the truth of Mount Sinai from verses 18 through 22. If this really is, as you're reading through the story of God's people, a beautiful moment. God had miraculously delivered his people from Egypt. He had delivered them from the oppression of Pharaoh. He had brought them across the Red Sea supernaturally. He had absorbed the uh, Egyptian army as they came after them. And God had saved his people by his grace. He did it through the shedding of a spotless lamb. Every bit of that pointing us forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus would deliver us from our own slavery to sin through his own blood. All of it a picture of the gospel. So this amazing moment where he delivers them out and his goal is to lead them into the promised land. It's what he had promised them from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. I'm going to give you this wonderful land. And so he delivered them out to lead them in. But God stopped them when they first got out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai. It was there that by his grace, he was going to prepare them to enter into the promised land. Because God's intention had always been that his people be a distinct people. That there would be a holiness about them that sets them apart from the nations. And in order for God to fulfill his promise, in which he would make himself known through the holiness of his people, still his plan today, he must then bring them to Mount Sinai and give them the law. Intended to make them a, a holy and distinct people. It didn't look like any of the other people of the world. And so God did this was a gracious moment, it was a miraculous moment, it was a powerful moment, and I will say in the true sense of the word, this was an awesome moment. It was awe-inspiring as God brought his people to Mount Sinai. They came to the foot of Mount Sinai, and you can read about this later in Exodus 19, and it says this, that as they came to the foot of the mountain, a dark cloud came over the mountain. So imagine darkness coming over the earth, so you feel the darkness. And then thunder started to rumble and lightning began to strike. It said that a wind came and smoke and fire began to billow from the top of the mountain. So all of a sudden at one moment you feel like you walked into the biggest thunderstorm you've ever been into. With lightning striking everywhere at the same time that there's an earthquake and a forest fire and you're right in the middle of it. This was the feeling that the people encountered as they came to the bottom of the mountain. And the reason is, is because God was trying to establish in their hearts from the very beginning before they went any further that he is a holy and a righteous God. And we are sinful people. And God is not to be thought of casually. He is not common. He is holy. He is not like us. And we don't treat him casually. We treat him seriously. There is, in a very real sense, a heaviness to God. There is a weight to the glory of God. There is a fear that comes over us when we see God in his blazing glory. 
And so it is that the people of God camped right there, saw God in his glory, confronted with his holiness. But the primary point that comes out from that moment is this. In that moment, God is unapproachable. He's unapproachable. The reason there was the lightning and the thunder and the smoke and the fire is because it was letting the people know that they couldn't casually just go up to the top of the mountain. They weren't going to dare go up there. Why would you walk in the middle of that storm and where the smoke is billowing? God was, was unapproachable. You don't treat him lightly. You don't just march up to the top of the mountain. There was something fear-inspiring, awe-inspiring about the presence of God. He was an unapproachable God in that way. But then there's, there's another mountain that's contrasted with that. Because he says in verse 18, you have not come to that mountain, talking to these New Testament believers. You haven't come into Mount Sinai, that mountain that you could touch and feel with your hands, the mountain in which not even a beast would touch it and not be killed. You haven't come to that mountain, verse 21, that's so terrifying that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. He says, no, you've come to a different mountain. It's Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, verse 22, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels with festal gatherings, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Everything changes with that picture. You see, the law was given at Mount Sinai, and yes, God was there, and he was descending upon the mountain, but Zion is always to be a picture of the place in which God dwells. It is both a future physical reality, meaning someday God will destroy this earth and he will come and establish his kingdom on this earth and God will dwell with his people in what we refer to as the new heavens, Mount Zion. There will be a future reality. But now it's more of a spiritual reality. That right now we can go to Mount Zion. Right now we can be in the presence of God because the difference in Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is this. At Mount Zion, God is approachable. He is no less holy. He is no less magnificent. He is no less fearful or awe-inspiring. But at Mount Zion, he is approachable. And even the feel of what it says there, it says there's these myriads of angels that are rejoicing innumerable in this heavenly reality. And look at what it says. They're there in festal gatherings. You know what that means? It means there's festivals, there's music, there's food, there's rejoicing, they're partying. That all of these Old Testament festivals that we have in the Old Testament with the days of feasting and uh, the days of singing and rejoicing, do you know every one of those was just a picture of the reality of what the people of God will experience for all of eternity? But that's what awaits us, church. What awaits us is those festal gatherings. They were just a small glimpse into what we will experience for all of eternity. So the picture here in Mount Zion is of joy and of singing and of celebration and of angels and the gathering of God's church. And I love this phrase. The reason God's church is gathered there, you see this in 23, is because they have been enrolled in heaven. That's a great phrase. Do you know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your name is placed on a roll? Do you remember when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there? A few of you remember that. 
This is what it's saying. It's saying, listen, you have come to Jesus Christ. You have been enrolled. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And all of those who have been enrolled in heaven are gathering there for all of the festivities, rejoicing in the reality that is ours in Jesus Christ. Not terrified at the bottom of a mountain, but ascending to the top of the mountain, enjoying God's presence. And the reason that's so significant is because there's a couple of phrases we say often here at Prince. And they really help define our ministry here. One of them is, we believe everything flows from the presence of God. Every need you have is found in the presence of God. The second phrase we say is this. We don't plan services to attract people. We plan services to attract the presence of God. That is a massive difference. So we're not thinking all week, how can we get as many people here as possible? We're thinking all week, how can we make sure God shows up to church as we worship and get on our knees and preach faithfully the word of God? Because if God's here, people will come and we are not trying to cater to what they believe their needs are. We're trying to get God in the house. And when you're confronted with the reality of God, you will be changed. And that which you thought was your greatest need, you will realize is not your greatest need. What you needed was some time in God's presence. Everything is about the presence of God. It's one of our greatest values to lead people into the presence of God. It is our greatest hope and joy that you might experience that when you come into that place, in this place. And so what he's saying is this, there is the ability for us, not just in some future reality, but right now to go into his, his presence. It's not just a, a distant reality because it says that you have not come to what may be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion. You are able to be in his presence. You are able to go and to be where he is and to even more so to go boldly into the presence of God. Imagine that. Think about Mount Sinai trembling at the foot of the mountain. No way you would dare to ascend that mountain. And then Mount Zion, you boldly approach the throne of grace. You go directly to the top of the mountain by faith. And there, listen, you are welcomed. You have an audience there. He's listening. So what's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference in, in, in Mount Sinai and Mount Zion? Why is this one unapproachable and this one approachable? What is the difference? The difference can be explained with one word. I want to make sure if you write down anything, you write down this one word. There's one word that allows you to leave the unapproachable God at Mount Sinai where the law is given and go to Mount Zion where grace is given and God is approachable, there's one word that makes the difference. It is found in verse 24. The word is, listen, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. You know why we're a, we're a Jesus church? I say this all the time. We're a Jesus church. Beginning to end, top to bottom, first song to last song, we're Jesus people. We, we want you to come here and hear the name of Jesus about 338 times. We don't count, but we're just Jesus people. We sing songs about Jesus. We preach messages about Jesus. We teach our kids Jesus. Our mission is to lead people to trust and follow. That's right. We're Jesus people. You know why? Because you remember the old illustration. There is you over here in your sin. And God over here in his holiness. And it is possible for us as sinful people to come into the holiness of God. But the problem with that is everything we long for is right here. And so because we could not approach God in his holiness, Jesus Christ has come 
in the cross of Jesus Christ to bridge the gap so that we, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may get over the chasm and come into the presence of God and not just do it once, but every single day we can walk into the presence of God because we have a mediator, verse 24, whose name is Jesus Christ. And he has brought us into a new covenant in which it is personal and intimate and internal and eternal. That we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been made perfect as it says in verse 23. We have been declared righteous, not by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's the strangest little phrase there at the end of verse 24. It says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of, of Abel. Remember that story where Cain and Abel both offered a sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice was right in the eyes of God and Cain's wasn't. And so Cain, out of bitter jealousy because he had not brought a right sacrifice to God, killed his brother Abel. Genesis chapter four says this, the blood of Abel, which was falling on the ground, was speaking. There was, there was words coming up from the blood of Abel. And what was saying is this, the ground covered in Abel's blood was calling for justice. As you watch the news, do you have something in your heart that desires justice? Do you long for justice? Do you see those who are doing wrong to be made aware of the justice of God? Do you want people to face the justice of God? Absolutely. But the reason that the blood of Jesus was better than the blood of Abel's is while the blood of Abel cried out for justice, Jesus' blood not only brought justice, it justified. This is Romans 3. So through the blood of Jesus, God's justice can be kept because he was a perfect sacrifice, but he can also justify us so that we do not encounter the justice of God, but the grace of God because Jesus took it for us. That's what the blood of Jesus does for you. The blood of Jesus allows you to have the wrath of God absorbed by Christ so that you get complete and perfect access to Mount Zion. Into his presence. So we see this blood of Jesus shed for us, allowing us to come into his presence. Everything is there. I keep thinking about Psalm 24, which says this. You, you remember this. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Meaning, how do I get into your presence, God? How do I get everything you have to offer? Well, here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and he does not swear deceitfully. Well, I'm out. Right? How about you? Clean hands, pure heart, doesn't say anything deceitful. I'm out. And I want to get to the hill of the Lord because everything is there. Everything my heart longs for is there, but I can't. I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. And so here's the way we ascend the hill of the Lord. There is only one person who's had clean hands and a pure heart and did not swear deceitfully. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he marched to the hill of the Lord and died there so that... Through his blood, we might be cleansed and now we might march to the hill of the Lord. And when we get there, we get there because Jesus led the way there. You can't get into his presence on your own. You can only get there through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus ascends the hill of the Lord so that you and I might ascend his hill every day. 
here's two mountains that feel very, very different. But I want to make clear, this is not two different gods. It is a really, really bad thing to think, well, the Old Testament God is an outdated God. Well, the Old Testament God was angry, but the the New Testament God is is gracious. And we don't need to think about the Old Testament God because he doesn't pertain to us. Listen, you cannot read the New Testament and take it seriously without understanding the importance of the Old Testament. We don't have two gods. We have the same God. And one of the ways we know that is look at the last phrase of our text this morning, verse 29. For our God is, not past tense, is, present tense, a consuming fire. What it means is this, God is still holy and he is still just, he is still righteous, and listen, he is still totally unapproachable without Jesus. You don't take your good works and marks into the presence of God, you will be consumed by him. He is right now and will ever be a consuming fire. Let me tell you what hell is. Hell is the eternal and just consuming fire of God that is poured out for all of eternity on those who reject Jesus Christ. So you don't take God lightly. You stand amazed in his presence. You think about his holiness and you humble yourself before Jesus because if you do, you don't have to encounter his consuming fire, but those who reject him will. They will receive the justice of God because they have ignored the means by which it can be removed from them. And so the rest of the passage is is really just how do we respond to those two realities? How do we respond to Mount Sinai and Mount Zion? Well, here's how we respond. First of all, you need to be warned. You need to be warned. Without Jesus, you will be consumed by his just wrath. Without Jesus, you will be consumed by his just wrath. Look at what it says in verse 25. So see that you don't refuse him who's speaking. Who's that? That's Jesus, Hebrews 1.1. Jesus is the one who's speaking. For if they, Old Testament believers, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, Moses, which they rejected Moses' word and the law of God. They made a golden calf when he was up on the mountain and they were rebuked for that. Much less, how will we escape if we reject him, Jesus, who warns us from heaven? You see, at that time in the past, the 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 Lord shook the earth, but now he's promised there's going to be another shaking. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. What he's saying is this. Moses warned them, and they rejected him. How much more, if we're getting a warning from Jesus Christ from heaven, should we be punished if we reject him? And he says, listen, the shaking that happened at Mount Sinai doesn't compare to the shaking that's coming. There will be a day in which the world will be shaken and those who are not a part of Christ in his kingdom will also be shaken. And if you are not established, deeply established in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then the reality is you will be shaken and will not remain. But what Jesus is saying in verse 25, where it says, see that you don't refuse him who's speaking. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, follow me to Zion. Follow me to safety. Follow me to joy. Follow me to peace. We say our mission is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. We're saying, follow Jesus to God's presence. You you don't have to be consumed by his just wrath. You don't have to have that. 
You can call upon the name of the Lord, even this morning, and say, Lord, I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow Jesus into your presence. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. But if you haven't done this, this passage exists to remind you that if you refuse Jesus' payment for sin, you will have to pay for your own, and you will be consumed by his wrath. But it doesn't have to be this way if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. But if that's not you, the admonition is not to be warned, but to be encouraged. <laughs> there is deep encouragement in this text because through Jesus, you will be consumed by his love. You see, it says there at the end of verse 27, in order, everything has to be shaken. Why? So that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Now, what are the things that cannot be shaken? Well, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What cannot be shaken is Christ and his kingdom, which through Christ you're a part of. So I don't know about you, but I, I feel the shaking of the world. Don't you feel the shaking? I mean, do you feel how fragile we are? Like we're enjoying so much prosperity and things seem to be so good right now and there's so many good things happening. Don't you feel that in a moment, every bit of that could be gone? I mean, our economy is so fragile. Our life is so fragile. Our freedom is so fragile. And the reality is the reason it feels that way is because it actually is that way. That someday everything will be shaken and the only thing that's gonna remain are those who have aligned themselves with an unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now church, listen to me. That's you. That's you. If you know Jesus, you have an unshakable kingdom. And when everything else has been shaken, you and Christ will remain for all of eternity in the fullness of everything he has. So he says this. He says, listen, if that is true for you, be grateful. Let us be grateful. Let us rejoice in thanksgiving. Let us be filled with hope. Let us not allow the shakiness of our lives to determine our emotional stability. Let's not let the shakiness of the world determine how internally solid we feel. Let's root ourselves and ground ourselves in the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ and know that he is going to win and you will too. Let's rejoice. Let's be grateful. And then he says, and then let us, let us worship. Like if this is true, let's offer to God acceptable worship. Some of you says a, a sacrifice of praise. Let us lay our life down before the Lord and let us give him our worship. Let us give him our praise. Let us rejoice in the one with loud singing and with rejoicing in our lives and time with him and submission to him. Let us rejoice. And here's the reason why using our illustration at the very beginning, because if you know Jesus, he is not behind you coming after you, he is ahead of you leading you all the way to glory. And as he goes, nothing gets in his way and nothing will deter him and he will make it all the way there for all eternity. And if you are his, you are in that great processional being led by him. So be grateful and, and worship. Here's the reality. Every single person will be consumed by God. Everyone. Because the nations will be his and he will be all in all and everything will be subject to him. You will be consumed by God. Listen, you can either be consumed by his wrath or consumed by his love. If you don't know him, 
You'll be consumed by his wrath, but you don't have to be because the other offer is to be consumed. Imagine that, consumed for all of eternity in his love, overwhelmed in his love, the fullness of his love, but you will be consumed by God because God will be all in all one day. So my pleading with you this morning is this, be consumed by the love of God in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful hope awaits us if we're in him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.